This week's episode is brought to you by our patrons. And this week, we want to thank our newest patron, Ray W. So Ray now has access to some of the exclusive podcasts that we do. And um, if you want to become a patron and join some of our awesome group of other patrons, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash customs and join in on the fun. Thanks a lot, Ray. Welcome to another episode of the Bench Time Podcast, presented by HO Scale Customs. Now buckle up, you fine scale freaks. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 29 of the Bench Time Podcast with Todd and Brett Wiley. This week, we have Dave Frary, a special guest on our show. We are excited to get talking with him. We've seen a lot of his work, as well as you guys have probably seen a lot of his work that he posts on a bunch of the different groups on Facebook, and I think that's where we kind of fell in love with his work. So, uh, welcome to the show, Dave. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on um, our modeling podcast. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, we're gonna just jump into a couple questions. I think my dad has some uh, ready to you know fire off because we've been following mm-hmm. you a lot on the Facebook groups, and we're just uh, excited to get to know some of your modeling techniques and maybe if you have some uh, you know little hidden tips and tricks for our listeners if you okay are ready. Well, I I, I yeah, like I said, welcome, Dave, and uh, glad to have you. But um, I will fill in for Brad. I have known your name and everything in Model Railroading when I started 30 yes, this is or way 35 years ago. <laughs> and uh, in books that I've read, uh, in fact, my first introduction to you was um, as a reader of Realistic Model Railroad Scenery book. And um, mm-hmm. from there, uh, it was one of those books. I had two books, Dave, that... I never could put down. It's one of those ones, and yours is one of those two. Um, I've talked about the other book was by, um, it was a picture book, and it's interesting. Uh, it's a picture book of the Franklin South Manchester that, by the way, you took the photos of. And both of, those, yeah. both of those two books, I have dog-eared, and I had to get new copies. And uh, <laughs> But... That's how I got familiar with your work, and then, of course, uh, you know all the different layouts that you have built throughout the years, and uh, mm-hmm. and it's just like I said to me, it's an honor to finally be talking to you. Um, you have well, helped so you. many model railroaders. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you started, Dave, in the model railroading? Because you make it so easy for others to. It's just so natural. Obviously, you've been doing it forever and ever. Um, What was the bug that got you going? I don't know. I've always been interested in trains, ever since I was a little boy. And uh, on my 10th birthday, my father had a friend of his uh, build me a Lionel layout. And it was all from secondhand parts and uh, it it was really nice. It was on a 4 by 8 you know, ping-pong table size. And uh, it was my 10th birthday present, and that I just took off from there. I tried HO scale was uh, a few years later was coming into its own, and I tried HO, and uh, then I tried Lionel fine scale, which is no such thing, but I was trying to uh, work with that when I was a kid. So I've always had an interest, and the uh, 
my first interest, my original interest, I used to have a paper route. And on one of the people that took uh, my papers was this so-called news store. Now, you'd think a news store would have its own newspaper, but they kept <laughs> me delivering it. And they had a huge magazine rack, and my profit for the week, for delivering papers all week, was 50 cents. And oh, wow. Just so It just so happened, this was November 1951, and I saw an issue of Model Railroad on the newsstand there. And for the 50 cents, my whole week's pay, I bought it. And uh, I must have read that thing cover to cover probably, I don't know, 100 times. <laughs> and I didn't know, uh, they should have had a glossary with it because I didn't understand a lot of the words, you know, that they use. Like a pipe. What's a pipe? You know, if you're a kid reading this, how the hell would you know what a pipe is? <laughs> you know, and uh, <laughs> there was a lot of other stuff like that that I didn't, but I slowly figured it out. And uh, along about that time, when I was 15 or 16, my uncle gave me a, a Contaflex uh, SLR 35 millimeter camera. Mm -hmm. And I started taking pictures of my model trains and that kind of got me going, that propelled uh, my interest. And just so coincidentally, I had a lobster business in the summer, but in the winter, I worked after school and a neighbor had a dark room, he had a whole studio in his cellar. And he used to photograph shoes for the shoe shops in the, in the city of Lynn, Massachusetts. And he also photographed Whitman sampler chocolates. And you see the displays in drugstores when you go in the, of the chocolates and they'd have them, you know, they were seasonal, you know, for Christmas. Or yeah, Mother's I remember Day well. With, with, yeah, sure. all the pictures that they used in their advertising we took, you know, and, and they would give us boxes of chocolate and <laughs> we, you know, would paint uh, mineral oil on the tops of the of the chocolate to get them to shine nice so they looked, they looked delicious. <laughs> 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 And, and so anyway, that, I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. I, so anyway, that kind of piqued my interest. And I was always interested. And then I got married and I had kids and I kind of put it aside. And I was probably 22 or 23 and I met Bob Hayden. And come to find out, he was a neighbor of mine in the town of Swampscott, Massachusetts, which is about 15 miles north of Boston. And his father was one of my school teachers when I was in school. So I made the connection and we had a mutual friend and Bob happened to be the guy that worked Saturdays, the kid that worked Saturdays at the local hobby shop. So we were always, we always thought we were right on the cutting edge of model railroading in those <laughs> days because we, because we knew what was coming out, what was next, you know, what new brass engine Pacific Fast Mail was going to import and all of this stuff. Oh, and, and it so happened that we, uh, Bob was going to Colby College, and I lived in the town of Swanscott, and Bob's mother and father lived about two blocks away. And while he was in college, we found a gentleman who had an archive of two-foot railroad photographs, negatives. Mm -hmm. And they were all taken in the teens, the 20s, the 30s. So Bob had use of the dark room at Colby College, so he started printing all these negatives. And by looking at all these pictures, it kind of got me personally interested in two-foot gauge, the main two-footers. But it was right. kind of a 
uh, I had to kind of put it on the back shelf because I was working and my kids were little and uh, there was a lot going on in my life. But I put that interest on the back burner and then one time when Bob came home from the Navy, we built a little model railroad called the Elk River and it was HON30 with uh, N-gauge track and uh, N-gauge mechanisms and uh, HO scale buildings and, and superstructures and chassis and all that. Right. And uh, the Elk River was published in Railroad Model Craftsman and at the time Tony Costa was the editor of the Craftsman and he asked Bob and I if we would like to do product reviews uh, because everything he ever asked us for we delivered like on the you know almost instantly which was unheard of because most guys did that stuff when they get around to it right and uh, we uh, all during the 1970s and into the 80s we did product reviews for the craftsmen and we made a lot of friends and we made a lot of enemies uh, <laughs> I've read a lot of this I've read a yeah. lot of now you've also done some writing for Model Riveter as well Yep, and later on, uh, Bob. when Bob got out of the Navy, uh, he uh, applied for a job at Combat Publishing as assistant books editor, and he got it. And a couple of years later, the fellow who was books editor retired, and Bob became the books editor at Combat. And during that time, one of their best-selling books was a scenery book by a guy named Bill McClanahan. And Bill's scenery book, oh, had been had sold hundreds of thousands of copies for Model Railroad for, for Comeback Publishing, I should should say. And uh, Comeback or Bob asked Bill if he'd like to do a rewrite because the book was kind of kind of out of date. Right. And he said, no, I, I don't want to do a rewrite. I want to retire and, you know, <laughs> uh, go off and play shuffleboard or something. So anyway, Bob asked me, he said, would you be interested in doing a scenery book? So in those days, what you had to do, uh, I, had to, I had to put the book together, figure out what was going to be in it uh, without, any, without any help from Bob because it was like, you know, can you do this, you know, and, and go and do it. You know, so I put together a sample chapter. They liked the chapter. They liked the photographs. They liked the writing. So he said, okay, you, you know, write me a scenery book. So I did. This was in 1980, about 1982. Mm -hmm. And it, it took me a year to do that book on a man. I'm a guy that can't type. And I had a manual typewriter. You know, a three-finger type in. You know, if you made a mistake, you'd re retype the whole page. You know, because oh, it was yeah. sequential. It was a book. You know, and uh, sure, Bob just Bob decided about halfway through that it, that all the stuff that he him and I built together, we always created what we called recipe cards, and the recipe cards were simply, you know, how much white paint, how much earth colored paint. You know how much glue, what we, you know, what we did here, what we did there, you know, and, and notes about the wiring or whatever, whatever it was. So he said, let's do the scenery book like a cookbook. So I went back and took all the things that I described and I made little boxes and put formulas and uh, uh, different colors and ratios and all that stuff, mm -hmm. so that uh, people 
you know, if they follow the directions, my, my tagline when I used to talk about the book was that if they followed the directions, they'd build, build scenery that they'd really be happy, you know, with. They right. would please them. And uh, I kind of guaranteed that, although it sounds like I'm <laughs> bragging, but really all the stuff worked in it, you know, because I had done it hundreds of times, everything in there. It, it, and, you're right, and it was. I, I, that's why my copy is, is worn out. And uh, <laughs> well, it's interesting that uh, I took a, I took a. Uh, this is the business end of it. I took a what they call a graduated royalty on the book, mm-hmm. and the book is still in print, and uh, it sold, I believe, around four hundred thousand copies to date. That's awesome! So, oh my word! <laughs> uh, it may well, be more. It may actually be more if I went back and added up all of the numbers that they <laughs> that they give me. You know, and that's not. I, that's that's just that's so just, that they can account for. And that's just one way that I can think of that you. Just one of the ways that you have reached out and taught so many other people to model railroad and the, do their scenery and and you know every aspect. It wasn't just you know your scenery and your structures, which is what our show focuses on a lot. But you know you 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 touched on bench work and backdrops and everything. It was it's a little bit of everything, which is. You know, yeah. usually you don't get all yeah, that well, in one book. Well, yeah. <laughs> For somebody that couldn't write, I didn't know what I was doing, really. I just thought I'd, if I knew it, I'd throw it in there. You know, if I knew about <laughs> it, I'd throw it in. And I've completely rewritten that book three times with all new fixes and mostly new, you know, techniques and formulas and stuff. Because that book came right at the beginning of. Uh, uh, acrylic paints mm-hmm. and nobody had really played with acrylics in model railroading it was right. pretty new at to that the time. Uh, pretty new to the yeah. hobby at that time well acrylics showed up for artists in the t- late 50s but in the hobby field they didn't really show up you know there weren't places like AC Moore or craft stores where you could go and buy acrylic paints you had to go to an right. art store you know and they were very expensive they were mostly uh, too expensive for I would say for most modelers, you know, modelers right. wanted inexpensive paint. Right. So anyway, uh, the second the second rewrite of the scenery book is the best book, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because it uh, everything in it is still up to date right now. Right. My rereading of it. The third the third rewrite I did, which is a book currently in print, that's just a no baloney. Uh, Here's how to do it. Here's the way we do it on commercial displays. You know, this, mm-hmm. this, this, and this, and you'll get this. Right. Oh, it's just uh, the things that I know work. There's no experimentation, no, well, if you try this or try that. No, we right. just do it this way, and you'll get these results. Yeah. And then if you're uh, an experimenter, then go from there, you know? Sure, sure. And, and uh, you know, and... You're right. Most of your writing, whether you're, I, I, I'm not really uh, familiar with, with each one of your, your your rewrites of that book, but most of your, all your writing, your articles that you've done through the years uh, with magazines, and then of course the videos that you have on Trackside Modeler, which we're going to get to here shortly uh, as well. Um, 
everything that you taught and you maybe you just don't realize it yourself because you you know you make it to where just as you said it it comes easy for people and it's not an easy thing to be able to teach you know skills like that um to where people can just follow the directions and that's the result you're getting uh we've we've done some of yours recently and we'll talk about that too but um it 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 was so easy for us to get the results that you were getting based on how you explained it so yeah it's it's a great skill another satisfied customer (laughs) absolutely (laughs) now what on the uh on the writing part now uh, how long were you writing for model model craftsman I started the first article I had published in Railroad Model Craftsman, I believe, was 1969. Oh, man. By 1990, Bob and I had submitted over 1,500 written pieces of photographs. We used to keep a database. You know, when, when databases were a separate you know, a separate thing in computing, you know, a separate sure. piece of software, you know, uh, we used to try to keep track of uh, who wrote what. He wrote some stuff. I wrote some stuff. A lot of it was co-written. Uh, the photos were all mine. And I tried to keep track of all that stuff and where it appeared and when it appeared. And we finally gave up in 1990. And <laughs> that was the end of the database. <laughs> and we published a whole bunch of stuff since then. So <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm pretty well out of it. Uh, that's what that's what I was going to ask you. What have you been doing? I mean, lately with the hobby, or are you just are you, are you retiring from it? Last, or yeah, I'm kind of retired. The last commercial project I had, I built a HON30 display for mini trains who are in Germany, and they make some uh, the mini trains line of. Uh, uh, HON30 and mm-hmm. toys. They're actually toys. They're, they're model railroad pieces. Right. And they're, they're, they're pretty whimsical, some of them. And some of them are dead ringers for the types of boxcars and flat cars and gondolas that they have in Europe with the mm-hmm. four-wheel cars and things. So uh, the, the owner of Mini Trains asked me to build them a display you could take to the uh, toy fair, the Nuremberg toy fair, uh, two Januarys ago. Mm-hmm. So I built them a display. It was all made lightweight. Uh, it was all made out of foam and foam and, um, oh, what's the name of it? Uh, the, uh, the hard foam plastic. The extruded uh, foam? Yeah, the stuff with the, with the fight with the waterproof coating on it. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name, but something board, gator, gator board. Gator board, sure. And, uh, yeah, yeah, gator board. So I made this whole thing out of half-inch gator board, and uh, uh, it was a western town, and it was based on a book of cartoons that a guy named Carl Falberg wrote. The book is called The Fiddle Town and Copperopolis. Hmm. And it's the cartoons themselves appeared in Railroad Magazine during the late... 40s and early 1950s, and Falberg was a cartoonist for Disney at the time, and he went on to be one of the 
co-producers of Hanna-Barbera, the people that had all of these television cartoons, you know, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Yogi Bear, you know, the Jetsons and all of those. Right. And uh, Falberg was a cartoonist, but he was also a writer of those kinds of uh, cartoon shows. And uh, mm-hmm. his railroad, his, his uh, film town in Copperopolis was a make-believe railroad in the Sierra Nevadas. And uh, it, the, the cartoons were all, they were pretty pretty whimsical at the time. You know, the, the uh-huh. railroad was all always broken down. And I don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with the book. I am not familiar with print. the book. It's still in print, and it's a, and it's a fun book to get, and you ought to get it, I'm look it up. just to look at it. <laughs> so I had to build a display based on a book of cartoons. <laughs> well, I, and it had to be lightweight and portable, and so we had it. It's thirty by thirty six inches. Uh, it had to be something that he could put in the back of his car and drive to Nuremberg and. Uh, from some other place from near Munich, I think he is. Right. So anyway, uh, I spent about a month fooling around with Gatorboard and stuff, and then, and then I built this thing for him, and it took me uh, about four months. All the buildings on it are either kick-built or scratch-built, and right up the middle of it, there's a western town. <laughs> and uh, I put lighting and everything. You know, it's just... Sure. A regular display. The whole idea is for it to sell uh, his little trains. And I, mm-hmm. to test out the trains, he sent me a sample of them. I put them on the track and started it running in a circle. There were two two levels, an upper circle and a lower loop. And I, had, I put the train on the upper loop uh, the morning, Thanksgiving morning. And with the intention of going back down and and uh, turning it off, you know, later in the day. But anyway, family came over and I got cooking and one thing <laughs> led to another. And about four days later, I went into the basement and there's the display sitting there and the train's still going round and round. <laughs> <laughs> and, when, and when I told the guy who made the train, who makes it, a guy named Andreas. I, I said, Andreas, I said, the train was running after like 46 or 50 hours. He said, that's impossible. They're not supposed to run that long. I said, well, Jesus, don't tell anybody that. You know? Well, that's, uh, that's pretty, that's a great testimonial for the, the train and the, and the track lane that you've done as well. Wow. Uh, the, uh, on the displays, I use double-sided carpet tape to hold the track down. Mm-hmm. That way, if I have to move it, I can just run a putty knife right underneath the the tape oh. and, and lift it, lift everything up, and then move it and set it right back down again. Oh, that's that's a great idea! Wow, you hear that, Brett? Yeah, that's that's we're gonna have to do that. Yeah, we're in the process of doing some track laying right now ourselves. Um, well, if you're, <laughs> if you're interested, I, I will. Uh, if you're interested, I have a YouTube channel. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think there's We're about familiar with there's it, yep. about twenty two. Yeah, one of the videos on there, one of the building the an H O N thirty sugarcane railroad, I think it's called. I think in part one, I lay the track, and I mm-hmm. show you how I lay the narrow gauge track using the carpet tape. And uh, yeah. you might want to check it out. Yeah, wow. I um, I'm on it now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna find it right away. <laughs> wow. 
the power of the uh, the te- power of technology today. Uh, as you're speaking, uh, where he's looking at it, but um, we will. <laughs> um, I will be utilizing that because I just finished uh, kind of redoing some some great some grades and some hills to put our track on, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm at mm-hmm. the point now where this weekend we're going to be laying a bunch of track down. So it's perfect timing that you just <laughs> drop, drop that little morsel of information for us. <laughs> that's good <laughs> um the um how how many railroads have you built i mean as far as you know model layouts or or you know uh modules that type of thing um, after the cv book was published the first time 1982 it kind of made me the de facto expert you know whether i was or not was another story but yeah, i got a lot of work mm-hmm. uh, building uh either working on existing projects, which I did a lot of, or actually building stuff from the ground up. Uh, uh, I think I've, I think I've worked on 32 to date. Oh my God. Projects for other customers. For customers oh my goodness. And or uh, just commercial displays. A lot of trade show stuff I've done for right. people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the work I've done with a, with along with a fellow named Hal Reynolds, mm-hmm. who owns a, a, a model company. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name, but GC kill me if no, I forgot the name. Anyway, uh, Hal Reynolds, uh, uh, him and I have worked on some really funky uh, model railroads for different right. kinds of people. We worked in one house that had a copper shield over it, and he mm-hmm. couldn't get a, a, a wireless transmission into or out of the house. Huh. The guy was a government government guy. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, we would have to go out, if you wanted to call your wife or order a <laughs> sandwich for lunch, you had to go out and stand in the, in, the, in, the, in the grass beside the house in the woods and make a phone call. <laughs> That's uh, crazy. Anyway, we... we, we <laughs> We've, we've built a lot. We've, uh, for a couple of sports uh, figures, we've worked for uh, all kinds of people who rather remain anonymous. And I mm-hmm. think uh, a lot of the people I've worked for have beautiful model railroads, but if you met them at a cocktail party, you'd never know it. <laughs> they train. Trains is like their, their closet thing. You yeah. Know? It's, <laughs> it's their way of relaxing at the... Right. That's I was gonna say it's yeah. their thing, but it's also kind of a shame that there's so much artwork out there that's like you just kinda you know, hidden behind the scenes. Yeah. Um but yeah. but it's also their thing to enjoy. You know, they enjoy it how they wish. Yeah, well uh, so I've done a lot of different work. I've all of the techniques I stopped experimenting on about the third project I worked on. Right. And uh, I had at the time I had uh, done a lot of photography of George Selios's Franklin and South Manchester Railroad. Mm-hmm. At the time, he lived in, in Peabody, Mass., and I lived in Swampscott, and it's like four miles difference. <laughs> and, you know, I we started photographing his his model railroad in 1984, and uh, we're taking video of it, and if you go on that YouTube channel of mine, you'll see the Celios video and uh, it's quite interesting because it shows the railroad as it looked in 1984 and it was just like a little piece of, of track with a whole bunch of big buildings around them mm-hmm. and uh, he's come a long way and he's still uh, like you say you like the pictures in that book 
It was the best photos. I, it was they were the best photos. I've seen millions of photos of it, and you're the ones you've taken in that book are the best ones. And and uh, on that book itself, and you're probably going to say the same thing right now. Um, I think help pro- now we, his modeling helped propel George into who he is. We all know that he's an artist as well. And but I think that book really brought to light. Uh, what all this man has been able to accomplish on a, on a, on a layout like that, and um, yeah, yeah, right. I, I think help. I think it helped bring it to the public's eye, and uh, that's that was the best photography I've ever seen. That's why the book was worn out. Huh. <laughs> I got a good story that goes with that book. If you want to hear it, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, he, he he brought he brought me over there one day with you know we talked on the phone and he said come on over today I'll, I'm going to set up I'm going to move the curtains and take the uh, the sneeze guards off and uh, I want you to photograph the the whole railroad for the book so I you know I got myself a a, a block of a 35 millimeter ectochrome and I got my cameras and I got my lights and I'm um, over there photographing, and I said, by the way, George, how many pictures are you going to use in the book? He says, the publisher or the printer already told me he needs exactly 82. Now, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever put together a, a book in your life, but how do you know exactly how many pictures you're right. going to need? <laughs> Unless the guy had a template, you know, some kind of a template, which, which he just dropped all the pictures into. Yeah. So anyway, I I gave maybe two pictures for that. And, <laughs> what an odd uh, number! <laughs> huh? I said, what, what, an odd, what an odd number! Oh yeah, that's yeah. just eighty-two, just know. like randomly eighty-two pictures. <laughs> well, I had already, Sorry, you know, I, over the years, I I went there about seven times mm-hmm. on assignments from Model Railroad magazine to uh, to do different. Uh, different sections of the, of the railroad and uh, different ones. As soon as George would complete something, he'd call up Model Railroad and brag about it, and they'd send me over, and uh, I'd photograph it, and then they'd create an article out of it. So, yeah. I, you know, over the years, I probably took another 200 pictures of that, that uh, model. Well, that's a, it, like I said, it's, a, it's definitely an amazing piece, but, you know, somebody... Well, pretty much everything I've seen that you've built um, is, you know, no in no reflection against George, but, man, there's some other modelers such as yourself that just put out some amazing uh, – in one particular is your, your Pensy Middle, uh, which is yeah, another one that I, I could stare at forever, you know? Yeah, I did, I did that in 1990. Uh, they wanted a modernistic – project layout mm-hmm. at Model Railroad or Combat. And they asked me what I thought, and I said, well, I don't know. I said, the, the Pennsylvania Railroad was the standard of the world, you know, and it was well-documented on every part of the railroad. I said, why don't we do some kind of a project that would have a general, a more general appeal than narrow gauge or mining or, mm-hmm. you know, just a a, a, a model railroad that exists and you can make it whatever you want to make it. You know, if you want to make it a passenger only railroad or you want to have freight, you want to have switching, you know, uh, but what they really wanted me to show how I built it. 
they wanted to have a step-by-step how to do it kind of thing, which right. uh, uh, well, we did in the Pensy book. In fact, and I'm bragging again about my own. No, that's, uh, why, that's why you're here, man. The, you have a lot to brag about. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the, the Pensy book was probably the best how to build a model railroad book that has been out there in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the only one that was better was before it. It was called Small Railroads You Can Build by Russ Larson. And that was a that was a gem of a book. In fact, I kind of looked at the pictures in that book and kind of kind of copied how they presented the material. Right. Uh, it, it gave me something to go by because in in my uh, small railroad you could build uh, in my mind at the time was probably one of the best books out there. Right. So anyway, yeah, I built the pen and. <laughs> and uh, well, about halfway through the construction, I I lived in a house just my son and I at the time, and I had a uh, twelve by twenty six foot room uh, that I could use about three quarters of it for the project. So the the railroad was designed to fit in the room. You know, I I covered up the windows and uh, put a back or a seamless backdrop all around the room painted it blue, you know, with clouds and all of that. And then I proceeded to build the, the, the uh, Pensy Railroad. Mm-hmm. And about halfway through it, Comeback uh, acquired the Greenberg Model Railroad shows. And I don't know if you've ever been to them or you're familiar with them. I have been to Greenberg. Some, yes. Yeah, they've uh, morphed into something else called a Great Train, train Show or something like that now. Anyway, uh, right. A model a comeback had just bought Greenberg, and they said, "Oh, wouldn't it be great if this project railroad could travel with Greenberg, and they could show?" So then I had to re-engineer the whole thing and make it portable. I had to, <laughs> I had to design, uh, figure out how to take the the, uh, the railroad and divide it into six sections that one man could handle each section. And uh, they had to be able to fit in the Greenberg truck. And uh, it, it took me like an extra two months of working every day, eight hours a day, to oh, re-engineer sure. it. So the, so the thing came apart. You know, I had to put leg levelers on everything. And I put little, like, hot-glued little uh, levels on the, on the framework. So when you set it up, you could get it all square. and uh, Sure. But three Greenbergs ever bothered with that. When they were the show was over, they'd throw it in the back of a truck and off they'd go to the next, you know, it's like it's like the circus, you know, they couldn't wait to get out of town. Now so you anyway, had your they, you had your whole structure you had your whole layout completely built and then you had to do this afterwards? I had it about half built. A half built. I had it about half built. I had the framework up, I had all the scenery roughed in, I had the track laid. And I, I, I go through, a, when I do these things, I go through a period where I just run the trains mm-hmm. for days and days and days. I want to make sure that nothing, the trains have to be dead on perfect. Or the, there's no sense for the whole rest of the display, really. Sure. So uh, I, I was in the period where I was just running the trains, you know, day after day after day and looking for anything that could screw them up. And then... 
<laughs> then they tell me that I got to cut this thing into six pieces to fit in the truck. <laughs> and, and I didn't quite know how to get the tracks to rejoin, and I, I ended up putting in space of pieces. I did a lot of different stuff, and you can read about it in the article, but yeah. uh, nobody should ever have to make something portable that isn't meant to be portable. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've, I've been to some of the Greenberg uh, shows at the um, at Timonium, Maryland, uh, yep. way back in the years, and we've gone. Well, I'm only going to touch on it now, but but uh, it was it, and it was a good show back in the day. Those were the '80s, and yep, um, they were good shows. Yeah, they were they were awesome. It was actually Brett. I'm sorry, but that was uh, well before you were born. Yeah, this is a lot of this is before <laughs> my time. I'm sad to say, but but um, it was. Um, yeah, they were always good shows, and uh, I had seen all those amazing layouts there at that show. They they did a good job at that. And uh, but mm-hmm. uh, let's talk, uh, if you don't mind. I want to talk a little bit about the one that we saw you built, and uh, there's a lot to that. And it was the one that we saw at the at the show at the expo, and that was the one for Bruce Nickerson Seaport Model Works. Um, yep. We we. Um, we before we saw it, we were building our our layout, and we were we're doing. We have sixteen foot of waterfront that we're building right now, and a <laughs> and a harbor that we've already built. The harbor, by the way, is where we started with the with our water any any type of waterfront scenery, and we mm-hmm. we saw it on your trackside miler. You have. Uh, your videos on how to build, I think it was a, a contest module or something like that. And it had, mm-hmm. uh, you, that was our first experimentation with putting water down and we, we did yep. it and it turned out really well. I mean, just like you said before earlier tonight, um, that your, your scenery, your step-by-step instructions, we followed it to the T and it turned out you know, we were very happy with it. In fact, there's photos of it uh, and some of the boats uh, on Bruce Nickerson's gallery uh, that we've done. And but, I'd love to check it out. Yes, uh, yeah, definitely go check it out. It's not a lot. We have a couple of shots of it that we sent him of the boats that we built, but it has a, the harbor that we built. And um, so we've now added 16 foot since then. Uh, but we when we 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 followed your you know, your build on that. And then on the process of that, you also had some other videos that were on building Bruce Nickerson's Seaport Model Works. And uh, mm-hmm. so combined, it really taught us so much about the waterfront scenery. And that's what we are, we are all about. We love that. And uh, when we got to the show and saw his, that module that you, we saw you building, uh, it was it was so cool to finally be there and see it, and it caught us. And one of the things that it did, Dave, is is it drew our attention to it, to where we were focused on the different boats because you designed it for us to focus on those boats. And then That's all exactly of it, right. we, we ended up, yeah. And the other thing that sold it, you was, got it. Was Bruce knowing the history of those boats like nobody else does, and uh, he, and, and he, and then from there on, he took it over, and we ended up walking out of there with a bunch of boats. <laughs> but it was, I, I, I rebuilt that a second time. I don't know if you've seen it. The second with the new buildings on it, we saw had, it in the fall. Re- yeah. Of this past year, yeah, no, oh, yeah. What well, you saw with the you saw it with Hook Lobster and uh, 
mm-hmm. Williams Ice. And, yep. uh, yes. Yeah, okay. That's the new build. That's all. And as soon as I get this laser cutter up and running, I'm going to make some kits for that hook lobster, I think. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was it that's was a, really neat. Nice and he was... Well, we were telling him how we did we did uh, all our water with the Mod Podge, and then mm-hmm. he stood there and talked to us and told us we one of our concerns was we we got a little, we got some bubbling and uh, when we did it and you know and he was showing us some bubbles in his that you know you're you're able to to cover up and how and ways that you could do that and um, which is which is really cool I mean so um, but he also said one of the things you don't want to do with this is leave some stuff sit on it too long. <laughs> Your boats will they, uh, they end up fusing to the uh, Mod Podge. <laughs> yeah, well, the stuff stays soft, even with a, a, a heavy coat of high-gloss furniture, uh, acrylic furniture varnish on the surface, yeah. which create, makes a hard surface. It's still soft underneath and the boats sink in. Yeah. What I yeah. did when I rebuilt exactly. it is I took I took uh, 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 gloss gel, which is a, a, an artist uh, to, to make textures in paints, you know, mm-hmm. and I used it as a filler, and I filled in all those spots that the boats made and uh, repainted it and put a whole new water surface on it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, is, it, it, was, it was just so well done. It was an attract, it's an attractive piece that just uh you know allows you to to focus on it you build it so you can you can direct your focus to certain objects the whole idea with trade show displays is to sell the product so Mm -hmm. if it did that it was successful (laughs) it definitely did that i I, uh, my bank account was less (laughs) 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 but uh yeah it was it, it was really cool but but um, this, the water scenery part uh, on those videos uh, on the contest module in particular, um, you showed how to paint the water, be- uh, paint the surface before you put the mod pipes down and everything. And uh, you mm-hmm. just, I loved how you, you talked about you're one of the only a few modelers uh, out there that, that have done you know how tos or or explaining uh, you know in tutorial videos how how to use products that aren't going to cost you a fortune and, and in particular you were like you were pushing the school grade acrylics and uh, yep. that, of course that's what we went with as well um and, and it turned out it turned out great because of that but but um you know you taught us how how you make the what was the the black uh, it was a it was a scenic it was a like brownish grayish that we Scenic black. Scenic black, that was it. I even, one I even wrote it in the container. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, we have used scenic black on a lot of stuff, not just the waterfront, too. So right. it's a, it's been that it was an awesome yeah. way to learn. We credit a lot of what we've done scenery-wise uh, to you. So. Yeah, if you look at the Fiddletown uh, video on the YouTube channel, mm-hmm. uh, how I built the Fiddletown in Copperopolis, you'll see me. I I used a, another version of that scenery that black as a primer, mm-hmm. and what I did I put some terracotta in it so that it was a a really dark uh, pottery color uh, I don't know brick color, and uh, that was the primer that all the uh, other painting 
I paint all my scenery, so sure. I, even the grass is, gets painted. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, I like to have that kind of a neutral, warm color underneath. Right. And so everything everything gets lighter as it comes forward uh, when you paint. Sure. At least with the with the, with the uh, techniques that I teach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we did. We've we painted like all our scenery before we start putting ground material down or static grass or any of that. I mean, we've we've done it to the letter, like you've like you've explained, and uh, it's it's really helped us a lot, and it made it look great. Um, but yeah, that particular. Uh, well, for, while we're on the subject, to be, pause just for a moment. Um, for all the listeners out there that are listening to this podcast when it when it goes live, um, you need to go to Trackside Model, the Trackside Modeler on YouTube. That is Dave's uh, YouTube channel. Right, we'll have and, a link in the description of the show. Uh, Brett's going to put a link into the description of the show on our website as well, and uh, so that way you, the, the listeners can go to it. But um, and and when you're there, make sure to subscribe to it. And check out the videos. I mean, it's just there's there's a ton of them, and and you'll learn so much. I mean, it'll definitely improve your your modeling for sure. So well, some of them um, are just fun to watch too. Definitely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, some of them are pretty just fun to watch. And for some sure. of them put you to sleep. So <laughs> I I received the best compliment at the Springfield show a couple of years ago when a guy pushing a carriage and he had two little kids in it. He said my videos were the, the best thing to put his kids asleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> That's funny. We had to watch the videos. You know, and my voice my voice drones on and on and on and they're sound asleep watching them. Well, I actually, I, I, I never fell asleep, but I will tell you this. It's funny you mentioned that we had, uh, sometimes we do a live, um, right on our workbenches, him and Brett and I will do a live Facebook late night thing where we just kind of put our our cameras up or our phone cameras up above yeah, we our do a, we do a late night live Friday Friday night videos right and we had this one guy and I don't know where he is from oh, wow. uh, I'll have to he, check it out uh, he might have been from Colorado or somewhere like that. We just kind of goof around. There's no rules. We just kind of sit. We just start modeling. We talk to people, explain what we're doing as we work on it. Usually structured work. And um, this guy from, I think he was in Colorado somewhere. And he gets on there and he says, my whole family's watching. You know, he's <laughs> typing in there. And and I was like, oh, that's great. And he, he was on with us for, we were on for like a, an hour and a, a half lot, or two a hours. Time, yeah. And, um, yeah, a long time, and and then of course the the guy uh, comes back. Well, he's he's still typing stuff to us from time to time. I guess his kids finally fell asleep, and uh, his <laughs> wife popped in, and I said, "Are you still watching paint dry?" Because he told us this on our. <laughs> so not everybody in the family would be able to stay awake through it, but I guess the modelers, it's a little easier for them, obviously. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, but um, yeah, it was just a little funny little thing that we we never shared before. But um, it's uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Bruce uh, Bruce speaks highly of you. I, I talked to him. Uh, we did an interview with him a couple weeks ago, and uh, he's like talked the, a, a lot about man. the module you built. Yeah, and uh, he's but um, yeah, you're you're uh, one one of the other things I want to talk to you about is on your Facebook. Um, I have you on as a Facebook friend, and and one of the photos mm-hmm. that you put up, you usually put up something every 
couple days or so. And um, one of the photos you put up was a oh, kind of New England building. Um, and uh, I can't remember what kind of building it was, but on the roof, you had a roof hatch. And yes. and I made a comment on yeah. that uh, one day, and I have not seen anybody really no, – that's not true because Hal Reynolds that you talked about on his on his website, he yeah. has some buildings with roof hatches as well. But yeah. you were the only two guys I've seen that actually do that, and there's so many – um, especially along the seaports and, and the older buildings, uh, barns, um, you know, those types of places, old warehouses, you will see those, but you never see anybody put them on. And um, I just thought thought that was yep. pretty cool, your, yeah, your attention. They, they, had, they had two or three functions, mm-hmm. come to find out. When I was uh, hired to build the, uh, uh, the uh, Nantucket uh, Railroad, museum display piece. Uh, they wanted a 28-foot-long by about 4-feet-wide model of the Nantucket Railroad as it ran about 1910, which was the about its busiest year. And they gave me three months to do the research, and they gave me access to their uh, historical library, which has hundreds of thousands of images in it. And a lady who I hired uh, curated all of the railroad images and put them on a uh, CD for me so I didn't have to hunt and search. Anyway, I'm making a long story out of this. That's okay. Uh, about half of the buildings around, almost well, half, almost all of the buildings around the tracks all had the hatches on the roof. Hmm. And uh, it wasn't just uh, unique to Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard or uh, southern Massachusetts. I've been in Maine along the coast and seen uh, structures with wood shingled roofs that had roof hatches. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number one uh, use of the roof hatch was to get at the chimney for repairs. You know, uh, number two was uh, to help with firefighting if the wood shingles ever ever caught on fire. To go up there with buckets or barrels of water and dump them on the roof to put the fire out. But the third, the most important function of the roof hatch was air conditioning. It was a wonderful air conditioner. Uh, If you opened the front door of the house and you opened the roof hatch, the roof hatch would act like the Venturi effect and pull hot air out of the attic and pull cool air into the front door up through the whole house. That's that's similar to... On the the hot... I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that's on very similar. summer months, you see all of the roof hatches open. <laughs> that's very well, similar. That's brilliant, to, um, actually. That's very similar to how the you hear about you know the original uh, going back way back in history about how they used to heat and cool homes back in Monticello. Like Monticello was was a famous thing for that. It was just a convection type of heating. I mean, a, a convection type of cooling where it would the hot air would rise and pull cold air in from the bottom. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. And, and it's so not just doing pretty much the same thing. 
And it's not just uh, centralized to New England. Um, I've seen it uh, recently. I, my wife and I took a trip down to Annapolis, Maryland, and, uh, and we do a lot of Chesapeake Bay modeling in that region, the Chesapeake mm-hmm. region. And uh, we were toward Annapolis, and there's a building that I'm working on now called the uh, Shiplap House. And it has, it's not the same type of roof hatch, but it has it has a, a spot on the roof where the roof would open up. It's not, it's not a real prominent roof hatch. Uh, but I've seen it on several of the other older buildings that are there in the historic district. So it's not, it was, I, I believe it's more of a common thing to the era um, of the, of the yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think right. that was, uh, before electricity, that was, uh, you'd see it on a lot of, a lot of buildings. In fact, you still see it in Nantucket today. Uh, when I uh, put the, uh, the display in the in the whaling museum in Nantucket. They hired me to come back a day a month and maintain it. And I, that day, I got to do all kinds of stuff. I went up in church steeples and took pictures of everything. And and you can still get up on a high spot and still look down and see roof hatches all over the place. You know, in, <laughs> in uh, 2018. So. Yeah, I think it, I think it's really super cool how they were used to ventilate, and I imagine it worked very, pretty quickly because once you open up the roof on a on a home that's been baking outside, I mean you're you're going to get a lot of heat escape, and uh, it's. So the other thing you got to realize is the wind never stops blowing there. So, <laughs> good point. It's forever windy. <laughs> you know, you're sur- surrounded by ocean. There's 17 miles from the mainland, so. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> now, um, as far as uh, any with your any uh, tips on model scenery for waterfronts, because we're we're doing a waterfront uh, that's as like we I speak. Said, yes, as we speak, sixteen foot long, and uh, we have Brett's been carving rock uh, for the front, uh, the waterfront, but we don't want it all rock. Uh, what do you use for, like, seawalls? What do you recommend for building a seawall? Well, what I did, I've done several different, I've done it several different ways. On the Nantucket project, for all the seawalls, I went to the old pictures, I looked and I saw that they had driven pilings in the ground and put planks up against the piling. They planked them one to the other, and then they backfilled the whole thing with sand. That was mm-hmm. their seawall. Huh. Uh, so what I did, I made several sections that interlocked and made a rubber mold and cast them in either resin or plaster. And uh, I cast hundreds of them because the seawall, that similar type of seawall surrounded the whole waterfront area at, in 1910 in Nantucket. So that's that's what I was looking to model. And uh, I built one, made a mold, and cast hundreds of them, and then changed some of them a little bit. I'd carve off a piling or, or change it somehow, you know, so it looked a little bit different. Right. right. Now, a lot of the projects that I've done commercially, I've purchased the uh, stone walls from Scenic Express. And I don't know if you're familiar with Scenic Express. They sure. Uh, so, a, a huge line of scenery products, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the items that I like in HO scale, they have a cast uh, styrofoam wall that's about uh, I don't know, I guess it's 12 inches long, maybe 4 inches high, and it's got a re- reasonable 
uh, uh, rock detail. You can get stone, you can get laid up stone, you can get brick, you can get all different kinds. Sure. You can cut them up and just uh, glue them on any old way, and they make beautiful walls. Beautiful well, definitely. walls. Well, we'll definitely have to look into Scenic Express uh, for that, for sure. Yes. And, now, and what I use, I use a bandsaw, mm-hmm. and I run the seawalls through the bandsaw, you know, like at two inches, which is the thickness of the foam base that's on the railroad that I was building at the time. Right. And so I face everything with the uh, Scenic Express stone. In fact, if you're careful, you can even get the ends of the pieces to match, so you can't tell where the seams are. Oh, that's that's good too. Uh, obviously, you'd want to do something along that line. Yeah, I'm right. Is yeah. that the same? Is that the same product you used when you were building the contest module for the videos? Uh, the contest models for the videos. Which one was that? The scene, the expo. Uh, yeah, the expo. Yeah, expo module. module. Yep. I didn't have any seawalls on that. I thought you had a uh, the, uh, one. Um, oh, I may have. I may have had. Yes, I did. It's like a retaining wall. It's a retaining wall. Yeah, that was just, yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. And what I'd okay. do, I'd run it through the bandsaw after I had it cut to width, to the height, rather, of the wall. I'd run it through the bandsaw and cut it in half like you were cutting bologna and just to make the <laughs> whole piece thinner. Uh-huh. The thinner I could get it, the better. And then I'd glue it to the a piece of mm-hmm. And uh, once you paint it, you can't tell that it hadn't been there forever. Right. Huh. Well, that's that's that, that was so cool when we watched you build that, and then you painted it, and then I was like, oh, he, uh, watching you go through the steps was neat because, you know, when I was watching you do that wall, you were painting it, and then you went to, like, this white color to start, and I was like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, that's... It's like it's like too white. <laughs> it's like this is going to be too white, and then you went back over it again with you know different shades, yeah. and it was step by step, and that's what makes your videos so uh, telling as to you know how well uh, how easy it is to okay. learn and do it correctly. Well, the beauty of all that is you can't make a mistake. You know, <laughs> if you don't like it, just paint over it. Right, you know, right. Nothing. There's no harm done. <laughs> Oh boy! Now, uh, do you still frequent the shows and things that you go to, or I mean, that no, you used I stopped, to go to? Pretty much stopped doing shows. I I used to do about twenty shows a year, oh, wow. and yeah, all over. And a lot of a lot of I was paid to go to, and I'd be going. I'd you know give uh, two or three demonstrations, two or three clinics. Sure. And uh, uh, I finally, I just got tired of it. Just yeah, you burn out. You know. Yeah. You know how you say you've been there and done that? Well, I, I, I do so after, well. After a while, after a while, it's the same people go to the same shows. Mm-hmm. And some of these shows were like were like college reunions, you know. <laughs> you'd, go there, you'd, see, you'd see the same 40 people. I, I, I gathered that when we went to the expo in Altoona last year, and uh, it was, um, you know, everybody was like old friends and and yep. uh, you know, so some some of the people I was sitting in some of the clinics, and they were saying, "I took the same clinic last year with the same guy. He's great." And I'm like, "Why would you want to watch it again?" You know, <laughs> but okay, you know. 
He said, well, for a lot of people, model railroading is a, a form of entertainment. <laughs> right. You know. Right, sure. Just like television's a form of entertainment or, you know, riding a bicycle may be a form of entertainment. <laughs> it was funny. I was, uh, there was a, a gentleman I watched, I did a, it was a guy who built resin cars, Dan Raymond. And, um. Oh, Yeah. Um, I'm friends with him on Facebook as well. I sat in on his clinic, and it was funny while he was doing it. There were like six of the other milers that were six or seven of the other guys that were going to be doing clinics that day were sitting in there watching him doing it. And I'm thinking they they have already seen this guy do this stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but you're yeah, right, Dan's it's, okay. Dan's Dan's the real deal. Yeah, he's his his, his stuff is amazing, and he's he's a good guy too. He is uh, nobody I don't think has done vehicles quite like that, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, he's uh, he does a good job. But uh, anyhow, um, yeah, there's there's a. Are, are you, do you go to the Amherst one? Uh, you were somewhat close, or I, you know, <laughs> I hate to tell you this to show you how old I am. I go in a bus now with a bunch of seniors. Students. <laughs> 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 they have a bus here on Cape Cod that sits down one end of the Cape, and it picks up people all the way along. And then I think the last stop is you know, just off the Cape, just over the brick. And then it goes to the show, and it gets you there like at 10 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it, it drives you home at 4 in the afternoon. It costs 30 bucks a head. Uh-huh. So for me, it's like the best thing on earth because I can sleep all the way home. You know, somebody else is driving. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah, I, I, I used to, I was a regular at the Springfield show. I had a booth at column 45. I was in the same spot for probably, I'm going to guess, 25 years, uh-huh. maybe. And uh, from when the show started originally. Oh, boy. And right behind, right behind me, where I was, there were bleachers with curtains around them. And I used to do always do a show and tell every year at the bleachers. And uh-huh. I'd do it twice on Saturday. And then whatever I was demonstrating, it was like an infomercial. Whatever <laughs> I demonstrate, people would come out of the stands and, you know, walk walk right out of the stands, right into my booth. And buy whatever <laughs> I was demonstrating. I've seen and that. I did happen. that for years and years. Oh, that's fine. I used to have to hire a guy to, 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 to watch the booth while I was giving the given the uh, presentations. But, like, I'd bring, I'd load up this year, I'd bring tree material. I'd show people how to build trees, and, you know, they'd buy the tree material. Right. I, 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 saw, that first, I saw that firsthand at the expo. I sat in on uh, Doug Fuscali's, uh, um, uh, he did a thing on detailing with the um, AK interactive paints that he's uh, been started to work with. Actually, I do too uh, a little bit. Um, but he uh, he did his whole uh, you know uh, clinic on it and I immediately went out of there because he said he was selling it and I got talking with him on the way out and we were walking back together uh, talking about the AK interactive product and we got back to this thing and all the other people that left before us cleaned him out and I didn't I couldn't get any of the stuff it was all going it was he literally sold it out in minutes after his show ended and we got back because we were talking and the guy watching the stand must have sold it all and I'm like oh man I, could, I couldn't even pick any up so it, it does it, the, those shows do help sell when the when the modelers are talking about uh, all the products uh, 
Well, that that was always my reason for going there. Was to, <laughs> you know, it was always bus- It was always about business. And, yeah, yeah. And finally, I just got too. It got old, mm-hmm. and I got tired. You know, I know. I understand. Well, and and Hal Reynolds, Atlantic Scale Modelers. I couldn't think of the name. Hal Reynolds took over my spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, the people who run the show, I, you know, if you talk to them, they'll, they'll try to accommodate you. So, and they right. did with me for years and years. So, right, it was always nice. And you probably met just about all the major modelers in in the last, you know, what forty years or so, and or more. Um, uh, I can't, I can't, I can't say that. But there was a time, uh, a <laughs> ten year period, where I worked for Comeback. Mm-hmm. And I'd fly off with a, one of their editors, and we'd go to Texas, and we'd shoot in four days. We'd shoot six model railroads, you know, <laughs> and within a given area, and you know, each shoot would become a magazine article, right? You know, and I did I did that a lot. Oh wow! And, uh, uh, and it's really hard work, you know. You think, oh, this is glamorous. You're traveling, you're eating out. <laughs> It really sucks sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> because you gotta you know, in those days we were using film and hot lights and mm-hmm. I had to lug all that stuff with me. Oh yeah. And it was right. standard to pay seventy five dollars extra luggage always. Right. And uh No uh, Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I mean to interrupt. No, I had nothing else. I'm, oh, okay. Well, no, one of the questions I, I, I was going to get into with the modelers, it, you know, at some point you got into the fine scale, and there's obviously a love for the fine scale uh, within you and, and doing that kind of you know, scenery and, and detail work and you know, structures and such. Um, but, but, you know... It, it was you talked about the trains and how you got into it, but was there what what was it that really captured you to doing that? And do you have an artistic? Do you, did you have any art background as well? Yes. Well, yes. before that, I, I went to the Museum School of Fine Arts in Boston for two years. Uh, I went to college originally on a football scholarship at UMass huh. in Amherst, Mass, and I broke my wrist the second year. And I lost the scholarship. They gave it to some other guy, you know, who was the next one. Sure. So I I went to art school. I went to the museum school. They took me in, and uh, they took me in based on a picture that my high school art teacher had put in uh, a museum in Boston, a uh, contemporary art museum, and uh, they knew the picture. So... It was like my resume all in one there. And, in fact, it was a picture of a rail yard at night with a guy (laughs) climbing up on a boxcar. Anyway, uh, I went to school for two years. I wasn't very serious at it. I was Mm -hmm. always broke at the time. And I started a little lobster business, which turned into a 41-year business for me. And uh, my son ran it for a while, and... And uh, it was a good business because in the old days, lobster was a 100% cash business, and uh, nobody knew. I never even knew how much money I was making right. in oh my, yeah. business. Oh my. It, it was just, it was just astounding. And I got pretty much wiped out in the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you may have read the book or seen the movie. Sure. Uh, about the 
the, the, the swordfish boats lost in the storm. Well, uh, I knew all those people, and uh, I lost uh, eight fishing at the time in 1990, 1991. I was fishing 800 pots mm-hmm. uh, by myself, and I lost all but 300 of them in that storm. Oh my gosh! They just all balled up, and you, you couldn't lift them off the bottom. All of uh, and roll around the bottom. There was so much sea, and that would just roll them all up together, just like you took, uh, like a ball of tinfoil, squeezed mm-hmm. it all together. So wow. that was. <laughs> it took me a while to get back on my feet from that, but sure, you know, those were the days when uh, you could you could make a nice living monster. Right. Not anymore, but <laughs> the lobstering methods now are so efficient that. You know, about 98% of the legal lobsters get caught every year. Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. Did not know that. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> well, if you know, I mean, I'm just talking about the business. It has nothing to do with trains. No, but it's still an interesting <laughs> thing. It's, it's still just an interesting it's side note. Yeah. Uh, when you, uh, with, with your art, I mean, was... Was there? Was it because of the art that drew you into the scenery? Uh, is it, it looked- I, I was an art student because mm-hmm. where else can a nineteen-year-old guy walk into a room and there's a lady sitting there naked? <laughs> where else can that happen? It only happens in art. There you go. <laughs> very exhilarating. Very exhilarating. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm not making why, why, why even bother the? Why even bother missing football at this point, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, I, uh, I've used the art. Uh, yeah, of course I've used it. I mean, that's what gives me, uh, I think, the color sense I have. And I still paint. I paint on a regular basis. I do. Right. If you look back on the Facebook page, if you keep going back, you'll see some of the stuff I've painted. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I think I it's. I think like some of your some of your backdrop then. videos are pretty cool too. You did one of a painting a backdrop, model railroad backdrop. Yep. And uh, yeah. that yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty easy to learn all of that if you you don't think you have any artistic talent. I mean, you can you can make stencils, you can paint the best clouds you've ever seen, mm-hmm. just you know, just with a can of white paint, spray paint. You know, yeah. There's, there's a lot you can do. Uh, that isn't really art related. It's just a sense of doing it. Right. It's just intimidating for people when they don't see a video like yours or someone explaining how to do it easily when they see the finished product and mm-hmm. think, "Well, I could never do that" because they don't, you know, they don't see how easy it is when they when you actually break down the methods of how you did it. Well, you know, it's another one of those cases where if you don't like it. You know, lower the cover up the you don't like and you know, do it again. Right. Yeah. You know, you yeah. Do it until you're satisfied. It's all it's all um it's all correctable. Right. Yep. Yeah. Now now um what part of what what do you think uh, is your favorite part of uh the scenery? Uh, is it the the landscaping is it water is it the structures or you know what what do you enjoy the detailing all of it (laughs) i like i like building things Mm -hmm. i don't like owning things right so all of the projects 
is the day they were finished, they were out of out of here, and to the customers. Just because oh, wow. I find that having my own model air, which I'm building right now, a little, just a little ON30 thing, mm-hmm. and having it around, I keep looking at the parts I've finished or done or worked on and keep wanting to correct them, keep wanting to make them a little better. And, you know, and it really slows me down. Whereas if I have a project I know has to be done by uh, July 30th, you know, I'll work like heck on that project and right up and, and finish it right on the day it has to be delivered. And then I'm done with it. I'll never look back at that thing and say, oh, Jesus, you know, I should have painted that green or I should have. I, I'm not really answering your question, but I, <laughs> my, my favorite part of my favorite part of the process is building structures. I yeah. love building structures. Us too. I have <laughs> shelf upon shelf of structures. In fact, they stood me in good stead. The first, I worked in the movies for, for a while about 15 years and in Boston at any given time there's probably four or five major productions being shot here because they give Massachusetts gives the uh, producers a really good tax break you know if they produce a film here they pay no sales tax number one on anything they purchase in Massachusetts and uh, anyway uh, I was in local 481 which is uh, uh, the, I was a carpenter, and there's a lot of different trades in 481. I was a, I worked as a set builder, prop builder, carpenter, and uh, uh, all of the model railroad knowledge, building stuff fast. Mm-hmm. I think I got from doing a lot of that work right. because you know that was all just uh, smoke and mirrors. Sure barely stand up if the wind blows, you know, but Hello? I, I think we're we're losing him. Yeah, I, I, I oh, are, are you there, Dave? I'm here. Okay, we I'm lost here. you for a second there. Yeah, we, we oh. maybe it was a storm between us and you, or it's all, all, it's all right. You you were just well, saying how it, you were just finishing when you cut out about how uh, you you learn how to build fast. Yep, build fast, build fast, and then it's gone. And I kind of enjoyed that part of it. I the, the biggest project I've had at home here is uh, was the Nantucket display. It took up my whole basement workshop, the whole thing. There was hardly any room to. And uh, I built it in sections so I could truck it to Nantucket, put it on the ferry, and take it over. Uh, but uh, that was that was I built that in uh, five months. Uh, with the help of a couple other people. In fact, Doug Pascali was one of them mm-hmm. uh, who helped me out. He did some some specialty laser cutting for me. Uh, he's, he's really good at it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, without that. We, we built, uh, on the, there were two famous hotels in 1910 on Nantucket, and we had to build models of them, and they were huge buildings, and we had to scale them down. You know, they're probably... They're about the, the models we ended up building were, were probably 25% of the size of the real building if you if you looked at them. But they looked like the, the, the hotel was supposed to work. And there was a hotel there that had four floors, four big porches, and every porch had a different kind of, of decorative railing. 
Hmm. You know, it's like the carpenters had nothing to do but to cut out little pieces of wood. And, you know, there were diamond shapes and hearts and all kinds of crazy stuff. Wow. And Foscali looked at those pictures and drew it and cut them for me, and they were perfect. Uh, he did a wow. really good job. Yeah, he's he's good at picking out detail, I'm telling you that, and then recreating oh, yeah. it laser. Wow. Yep, he is good at that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I uh, I worked with him. I worked with, I had seven people. Bob Hayden worked with me. Al Reynolds worked with me. Uh, Brian Bollinger and his wife, Jill, worked with me. I think it's Jill. I'm sorry, Brian, if it's <laughs> incorrect. So uh, that's, a, that's a who's who of a crew there. Well, it was a big project, and it, uh, there was a lot of money riding on it, so I had to deliver... <laughs> The museum went out and raised money. In fact, I uh, I built a model railroad, a Lionel layout for a guy who was once the manned space flight director at NASA. In fact, when I worked at NASA, he was the manned space flight director. I I never knew him then. I worked at MIT in Boston. The MIT and the uh, 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 inertial guidance people were all in Boston at MIT, and I worked there as their photographer or one of them, there were two of us. And come to find out years later, like 30 years later, I built a model railroad for a guy who was uh, my boss, kind of, <laughs> you know, back in those days. This is 1966, 67. Hmm. A guy named Bear Holmes. He was the, an old test pilot and uh, the the manned space flight director, but I ended up building a uh, model railroad, a nice Lionel layout that was 30 feet long, nine feet wide. Uh, oh man! And a big room in the, and a big room in his house. Hal Reynolds worked on it, worked on it uh, with me, and uh, it was a big deal. He had all the bells and whistles. He had uh, uh, all kinds of controls. In fact, he had Atlas make some special little switches for him that would sense the train coming and it would throw the turnout so the train wouldn't derail. And and since then, they've, uh, uh, Alice has sold these things now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so anyway, we all the buildings, there were 31 buildings, old scale, that were scratch built. Oh, man. There were a couple of plastic ones that weren't, like right. a crossing shanty, and uh, sure. there was a plastic lumber yard and stuff and such. Uh, a lot of buildings the fellow already had that he wanted to put on there. Right. So, sure. So we built we built realistic scenery on the Lionel layout, and the, and it looked pretty good. And you said it was thirty by nine. And, yes, and we're nine how, feet wide, thirty feet long. Oh my word! And, and how long of a period of time did that take you? Oh, generally, I'm going to say working probably four days a month. Yeah. Uh, probably a year and a half. Oh wow! Huh? Yeah, you know what? It's funny now. You had a, you had a crew working with you. That's a lifetime. That a size a layout that size for a lot of people is a lifetime. So that's well, even, even that long. It seems like nothing. <laughs> well, there were two or three other people involved, but they weren't involved full time. Hal Reynolds and I were the full time people on it, and the days that I could work were all worked. Were all revolved around Hal's schedule because he had a business to run. Uh, he, he does a, has a graphic arts business. Right. And, uh, you know, everything was, was, was 
uh, planned around his schedule. But we built it, and uh, the customer was happy, and the gentleman ran it for about, I, I'm going to say, six or eight years, and he passed away. So his widow called us up, and I went over with three or four other guys, and we uh, took all the buildings, wrapped them up, and boxed them, took all the rolling stock and boxed it, took all the track off and boxed it, and the rest oh. of it went to the went in the dumpster. Oh, my oh word. My. <laughs> what a crying shame, huh? Holy cow! Well, that's what happens, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah. Why, it, that's why it's it's art to you, right? And art maybe to me, but you know, when you're gone, <laughs> yeah. somebody else may not feel the same way. Right? About it. <laughs> yeah, you might you might either be leaving something that they treasure, or they just went out of the house. You never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's the thing. It always always. Uh, interests me about George Selios's layout. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's on the second floor of that building. I don't know if you visited it. No, you were at the expo. I have not. I I plan to, oh. but uh, I have not. Jeez, so. What are you waiting for? It's for me. It's like <laughs> going to see the pyramids, and I've seen it a hundred times. Yeah, well, that's all. It's it a really bucket is list that impressive. Us. It's a bucket I, list for us to get up there and check it out here. Yeah, maybe this winter. So, George has an open house. Uh, one Saturday a month. Okay. And you ought to do it sooner rather than later. Don't wait. Right. right. Because George is my age. And <laughs> you never know what's going to Well, I'm, I'm planning to be up at Amherst uh, in, in this winter. So uh, maybe that'll be part of my trip. Uh, we can, uh, if, well, if George is on the other end, end of the state. He's two and a half hour ride right. east of Amherst. He's in Peabody. But we're in Harrisburg. We're in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, so we're gonna. We'll, if I have to go that far, I might as well go that much further. Is the way I look at it. <laughs> yep. You know, so it's uh. You know, well, it's when not, I lived in Swatch, it took me six hours flat out to drive to Harrisburg. So oh boy, yeah. So that, that's not too terrible. Um, yeah. Now, with um, at some point, I, I I'm gonna see. Uh, if, I, if there's a way I can possibly get him on as a as a podcast guest at some time, but well, I don't know how he is about those types of things. But uh, well, in I, the future, I can't speak for George. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. I mean, now of all the people that you've done, uh, you no, you were saying about his his layout being on the second on the second floor. You can you yeah, can you on the elaborate? second floor of a. Well, yeah, he owns a building on Main Street in Peabody. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the first floor is retail shops. I think there's three of them. And he has the whole second floor, which is it's just a two-story building. He has the whole second floor, and the model railroad takes up about three-quarters of that area. Uh, it's, it's pretty good size, but it's one of those things that they'll never, ever get it out of there. They'd have to take the roof off the building. <laughs> You know, with a, with a helicopter and come in and pick it all up, and <laughs> they still break it. Oh my God! You know, it's one of those things that's never never can be moved. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of the shame of it. Yeah, that is a shame. Um, it's a good thing that you know. You know I'm, I'm we're we're going to wrap up the podcast here a little bit uh, in a couple minutes, but um, one of the things that I need that I have gathered out of this entire. Uh, interview with you and, uh, and having you on as a guest is that you are truly a unique man with many many hats uh, so we, we you have done 
uh, I, you know, all types of modeling, of course, that we were aware of. Uh, but then, I, you know, I, you, you were a lobster man, and you were an artist, and you uh, a football a, a football player as well, and and then just just so many of the photography and every aspect of the model road running, including uh, the building of them for business, and it's just it's uh, a carpenter. <laughs> so it's a uh, well, it's it's amazing. You, being a, you, being a carpenter in the movies is not like building a house. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, but it, it's yeah, you know, it's uh, it's still what, another feather in the cap that helped you uh, with you know all well, the modeling at and the everything time, else. At the time, they had a wonderful uh, uh, healthcare system uh, package that <laughs> went with uh, being a union member. And, and I'll tell you an interesting story if you have another minute sure. about how I got in how I got in the union. I had a studio in Beverly, Massachusetts, in an old factory, and it was one of those factories where there was just a concrete floor and a concrete ceiling and a beam every fifty feet holding the ceiling up. And if you wanted to rent space, they'd come in and they'd wall off an area twenty foot wide by fifty foot deep and a thousand square feet. In those days, you got packing, you got snow removal, you got, you know, toilets, you got, uh, I had a two ton crane, uh, you got compressed air, you got 240, 110, uh, anything you wanted. And, uh, and I think it was 400 bucks a month. Oh, my. And it was a really good deal. I built most of the big projects that I built out of my house, I built them in that studio. Huh. Well, anyway, one day I get a phone call from a, a little girl who asked me if I built model railroads. And I said, yes, I did. And somebody had given her my number, one of the hobby shop guys that I used to deal with. And she said, well, I work for Mr. So-and-so, and uh, we're doing a movie in Gloucester, and uh, we would like to have a model railroad depicting uh part of Gloucester, actually it was called Loblolly or something like that. Uh, the part of Gloucester, the, the, the librarians on a point to where the different characters mm -hmm. live there to kind of set the scene. Mm -hmm. So she says, can you do something like that? And I said, yeah. And at the, at the time I was doing a project for American Express and I had this little model railroad that was uh, three feet by five feet in the studio that I was building for them. So I said, I told them where it was, I invited them over. About 10 people come over. And I said, well, this is, I can do something like this. When do you need it? They said, oh, well, this was like on a Tuesday. They said, oh, Monday would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Four days, five days. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, if somebody says something like that, you know that they're willing to pay to have it on Monday. Oh, yeah. So, uh, 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 I had a shelves full of buildings that I had built, both for product reviews and just for the heck of it, just to, to while away the hours. You know, I had shelves full of buildings. I must have had maybe a hundred of them. So these two guys started putting different structures on this little display, and they'd take some off and they'd look at it, and they'd put some on and they'd look at it, and they, you know, and after about fifteen minutes, they this is what we exactly like this and the train has to go round and round okay monday and they said yeah we'll send a truck with a with a couple of uh, uh laborers to uh 
to move it for you. And I said, well, can I, I got to go with it and show you how to run the train. And I said, yeah, that's fine. So anyway, I got to go on the movie set. I built the project. <laughs> My son at the time worked with me and another fellow worked with me. And uh, I worked with a guy named Dave Maynard, who uh, was an ordnance engineer. He used to, he knew all about artillery shells. Mm -hmm. That was his, his trade. And he retired and he liked to build model arrows, so I worked with him on maybe five or six different big projects. And uh, we built it, the truck came and took it, we took it to the movie set, it had the building trade where they wanted it, and while they shot the scene with a lady with an actress and uh, this little kid, and she pointed out where all the major characters lived, you know, as if this was a model of a real city right. or a town. <laughs> so anyway, one of the one of the guys here said to me, he said, are you in the union? I said, no. He said, you ought to get in the union. He said, you probably make more money doing this. <laughs> well, I had already charged him like four times the going rate because of the rush. And they paid me, too. He checked oh. my hand when I delivered it. Oh, uh, man. Uh, <laughs> oh, they, they were good. Uh, anyway, oh, I, I thought about it when I got home, and I looked into it, and I called a couple of people, and I set it up, and I got in the union. Uh just based on all the stuff I built, right? Oh, that's a, that's that's my my, my thing was uh, early on in that my thing was was neon. I know how to rig neon, mm -hmm. so you know, see these night scenes with all these neon signs. A lot sure. of them are just twisted wires and you know plugged in, and but you got to be careful because it's about seventeen thousand volts, and you can really get whacked <laughs> right. at about half an amp. You know, it, 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 it could kill you if you got a weak heart, but mostly it'll. It'll make your muscles hurt for a couple of days. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, boy. Uh, anyway, I, I worked on a lot of different movies. The last big one I worked on was The uh, the, the Departed. With, okay. uh, um, I don't know. It was about Whitey Bulger. You know, yeah, yeah. We've we seen it. Yep. Yeah. yep. I worked on all the rooftop stuff. Oh, that's that whole, great. Uh, Rooftop, all the rooftop stuff that we shot. I was, I worked on. We built that uh, that thing that was supposed to be a stairwell. You know, the guy came out. Of. Mm -hmm. That was on wheels, so they could turn it to the sun, and they'd turn it a little as the sun moved. Huh. You, you can't see it in the film, but uh, <laughs> it's always the same brightness, even though the sun's moving. Right. Anyway, that's very cool. <laughs> Now, now it was, what I find neat about all the movie set stuff is that it launched from your model railroading. So for our listeners out there, you know, it, this is somebody who's put a lifetime into the into the hobby itself. Oh, yeah. But it has launched him into uh, different opportunities because of well, what he has been able to develop from all uh, of his work and, and studying and learning about, about the you know, about structures and, and scenery and everything else, which is for you younger folks that are listening. Um, you know, it's a, it's something that, that opportunity that, that, you know, that could be a possibility maybe for somebody later on. It is an opportunity, especially in, in cities that are actively uh, promoting the movie industry and giving them tax breaks. Mm -hmm. uh, Boston is a, is a good example. I know there's, 
places in Canada and, uh, and in Washington State that do the same thing. Uh, cities and towns in California give them tax breaks. So right. uh, they can be bid- there can be bidding wars to, to get a production company to come to the, your city or town. Wow. Uh, it's, yeah. Uh, that's all. It's, that's it's, it's cool. an interesting business. Yeah, definitely. Now, I, um, we're about running out of time here for the day, but uh, I think that we could probably go on and on and on and on forever talking with you. And, uh, okay. but, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my question okay. is in the future, would you be interested in doing another episode with us? Uh, so we sure. can. So we could. I, I'd like to get on maybe uh, talking, and what we would do is, you know, put together some ideas on, um, you know, some scenery uh, ideas on tips and tricks and things that you've learned over the years that you might be able to pass on to our our listeners. That would be a good topic. And uh, if you had a list of concrete questions, yeah, like, yeah, how would you do this, or how would you do that? I, Right. I know I shouldn't be no. leading you on. We but, will, you know, we will have I'm that. Saying. No, we will definitely do yes. that again and get you on to do this um, because I'd love to be able to uh, present something like that. Plus, also, um, you know, to this particular episode for us uh, and for every listener out there uh, is – you know, going into this, I didn't go into this blind, not knowing who Dave Ferrari was. I, I wanted to be able to have you tell, you know, I knew that you're an accomplished modeler and you've had a lot of history and many years in this. And I wanted to be able for you to tell that story to everybody out there. This was about Dave tonight. And, right. uh, yeah. So, and I just, I personally think it's cool because I, 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 always grew up looking at the the book that you photographed for you know um george selios of the franklin south manchester layout and that book that i think we had to get a second copy of anyways because it got lost or shredded somewhere along the way but that book is what got me inspired to build the way i build so it's kind of it's kind of cool to get to talk to you finally about you know your background and your that's, history. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's what got. That's, that's what, good. That's what inspired me to get into what we do when I was a kid. Yes. So and, I was just, I was just, kid, in, I was same. just blown away and and obsessed with that book for a, a number of years. That's why the pages well, wore out. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> the eye just changed in the last ten or fifteen years. The eye just changed that layout significantly, and it would be behoove him to do another book. I don't know if he's thinking of that. I don't live near him anymore. I, <laughs> I live quite a ways away. But uh, it would really behoove him to do a, another book because it's almost a different almost a different railroad. He took off a lot of the big buildings, hmm. and put in a lot of really smaller, really really nicely built. Uh, structures right and uh, a lot of them are right off the wall he showed me one building there that's completely made out of paper and you'd never you'd have to pick it up and touch it not to know it wasn't three-dimensional wow so he's been fooling with all kinds of things and i think that's Uh, a lot of the fact that you know we talked about this with other guests in fact it was uh um uh, I think it recently it was Jeff Grove on our, one of our episodes, and um, we were talking about um, the 
the technology that, that is brought forth uh, over the last 10 years with the digital era. And it, mm-hmm. it you know, it, because of it, there's so much available out there now for, for modelers to make and create absolutely anything that they see or desire to build. It can be done. And um, if if you if there's not a product for it, or if it's not already pre-made, you can actually create it uh, because it's you know every resource craft-wise. It's all at your fingertips. You know, it's at our fingertips, definitely. You know, well, down to the is, research it, online. You know, it's yeah. all it's instant. And and besides that, I'm seeing uh, because of that. I think I'm seeing a surge in fine scale modeling. Um, you know, just through social media, uh, outside of that. And, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a, it's a huge world out there of just some absolutely incredible artistic modelers out there, not just in the United States. I'm talking all over the world, which you are uh, well aware of. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it's, it, I see this hobby exploding right now. Mm-hmm. So, wow. so, well, you know, we, Bob Hayden and I had an opportunity to work at Disney in Japan, in Merida, where, where they uh, have the uh, Tokyo Disneyland. Not Merida. I'm trying to think of the name of the place, and I'm sorry. but My mind is a blank. Anyway, we built a, a model, HO model railroad for Disneyland, for uh, one of the shops in Disneyland, mm-hmm. just to show the Japanese people what American HO model railroading was. <laughs> and um, the people, the people who sponsored us, were the people that owned Tenshoto, and who used to import the brass engines through Pacific Fast Mail on all those years. Right. Remember the brass engines on the back cover of Model Railroad? Or yes, I remember that. Guys? Yeah. Every yeah. every issue. Yeah. So anyway, we built a big Model Railroad. I was in Japan uh, on and off about eight months. Mm-hmm. It was nice. There's a there's a lot of amazing model riders uh, or or diorama builders uh, that are in in the Oriental, you know, in the Orient, in the in the Far East, and um, yeah. it, it's amazing. It's in Singapore, Japan, um, it just just it, when you see their stuff and you're like, wow. It's, the, uh, the problem with the Japanese right now is none of them have any room for a big model railroad. Right. So they concentrate on single models and really doing it up well, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. A single structure or a single piece of rolling stock. Yeah, sure. And they do small a, diorama. A job on it. Small shelf yeah. shelf size stuff. Yeah, it's the, amazing. The uh, place where we built the model railroad for Disneyland mm-hmm. was an old silent movie studio. And the guy that ran it told us that they built a lot of the uh, original structures for the Godzilla movies the ones he steps on you know that are all made out of heavy paper (laughs) sure (laughs) they built them all in that studio and there were two young men there that were still employed all every day building little engaged model railroads they're not engaged they're I think it's one to one to twenty I believe uh, (laughs) whatever the scale is in Japan and they built because uh, wealthy people wanted to own the small model railroad. And I mean small. I mean the size of a, of a briefcase. And wow. uh, there were these, they'd buy it and bring it home, plug it in, and watch the trains run. 
<laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. It's um, a, it was uh, it was definitely a pleasure to have you on here. And I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to cut this one short. We're definitely going to have you on again, um, just because you're such an accomplished modeler and you've been obviously all over the world modeling. So, um, we are going to um, wrap this one up a little bit, but. Um, yeah, everything was great, Dave. We appreciate it a lot. Yes, this was this oh, was thanks, the this was the longest podcast that we've ever done officially, an hour and forty six minutes. Yep, and I've never done one like that because I just sat here and listened and with total fascination uh, in, to your stories. You're you are an amazing storyteller, and uh, it's it's <laughs> so easy to get wrapped up into listening to you. Um, and, uh, we, Thank you. Again, we, we 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 definitely want to have you on again with us as a guest. And and, uh, Any, and anytime, that is awful. That is awesome. Absolutely. Anytime, just let me know, uh, and I'll be available. Fantastic, Dave. I, next we time, will be in touch. The next time we do one, we will definitely be more topic based. And uh, now that we got a background on you, it'll be kind of a, you know. How would Dave do this kind of modeling technique or vice, you know, things like yeah, that? Yeah. So we'll dive into a little bit more of the modeling next time. And I think our users will get a kick out of that. I mean, our listeners will get a kick out of that. So yeah. um, thank you again. <laughs> and, okay. Bye. You got it, Dave. Wow. That was an awesome episode with Dave Frary. We want to thank him again for coming on to the show. Um, as usual, guys. Head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash HO Scale Customs to allow us to keep continuing to get good guests and awesome podcasts out to you guys. Uh, we've had a lot of user feedback the last week or two by asking for you guys for some um, submission details. So we will be doing some new topics coming up. We will be switching up from the Northeast down to some other regions and modeling some other areas as well coming up soon. So, um, That's a wrap on tonight. We hope everyone enjoyed it. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Uh, Head on over to our our website, hoscalecustoms.com. As usual, we put some blog posts up. It's not our strong suite, but we do it. And uh, Facebook, Instagram, we're on there. We'll probably be doing a Facebook Live video this weekend as well. So keep keep your eyes open for some Facebook Live videos like uh, Friday evening-ish later, probably around 10-ish. We usually start some live videos. So with that, you know where to find us, everyone. Have an awesome weekend and enjoy modeling.